but I say this to athletes all the time, each and everything we do in life is done better from a state of relaxation. So there's a, a, a certain amount of relaxation and tension that goes on simultaneous. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is Frank Soule, who's a fellow coach out of uh, Arizona in the States. So Frank, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Oh, Brent, real good to be here, my friend. Good to be with you. So um, I think uh, you uh, you sent me a copy of your book, The Five Bs to a Successful Triathlon Swim. And uh, reading through it, there's so many similarities um, about how we coach. So I want to get into that today on the, the podcast because um, I think there'll be some good discussion there. And um perhaps you know, just uh, see how you, you approach coaching because I love to learn from from other coaches and um, and take what take what I think I could work in my, my own coaching because I, I look back at my coaching career over the last uh, 13, 14 years and it's just a mishmash of all these different coaches I've heard from, some stuff I've um, come up with on myself, but it's just you gather all this knowledge. So where did it all start for, for you? How long ago did you start coaching? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, it's been 20, 23 years. I um, was a, a young swimmer, never a great swimmer, but um, went back to my local YMCA and started to volunteer. And uh, I was helping, uh, believe it or not, I was helping with mommy and me classes, teaching aqua fit classes, um, you know, the, the typical YMCA minnow and, uh, and, and, and uh, guppy and shark classes. One one day I was teaching uh, a bunch of young kids how to swim, and the head coach for the uh, Red Bank YMCA from uh, in New Jersey came up to me and said, "Hey, look, when I get back from nationals, I'd like to talk to you about coming on as a coach for uh, for my team." Uh, and that was it. I I just was hooked at that point, and uh, literally, like you started, I started to absorb as much information from every coach, every book, every website I could possibly get. And I, I think the biggest compliment is what you said. You take this mishmash of, of, uh, of different philosophies from different coaches and you make them your own. You're, your own. You're not reinventing the mm. wheel. Um, I, I always like to say uh, 15 by 100 on a 20-second break is not proprietary coaching, right? I mean, <laughs> we all – you get what I'm saying there. So uh, I coached – for them, I've coached uh, high school programs on the New Jersey Shore, where I grew up on the Jersey Shore. We had club teams every summer. I coached a, uh, a club team. So I've been around it for a long, long time and been uh, active in swimming and triathlon for uh, easily that many years, too. Yeah, fantastic. And um, over the last, I'm not sure how many years it's been for you, but um, it seems though like you're primarily now working with masters and a lot of triathletes. That's like your your bread and butter these days. Is that correct? That that's correct. I, I do occasionally get um, uh, young swimmers. Parents will come to me if they're on a swim program. They want me to do a video stroke analysis, very much like you do. They'll send me some video and ask me to uh, critique their stroke. Uh, then I ask critical questions or, you know, if they're younger, you know, there's no difference between sprinters and distance. These young kids are swimming. But as they're getting older, is the, is the uh, swimmer uh, looking to specialize as a distant athlete or a sprinter? And I, I, I do whatever I can to assist them and to help the swimmer um, fine tune. But my bread and butter comes working with triathletes um, and master swimmers 
looking to improve in their swim stroke. Yes. Mm. And that's that's how I started was coaching a master's uh, master's, master's team for sort of nine years, I think it was, and um, and loved it and loved working with, with with adults, a lot who did some as kids and were very good as, as juniors and then have um, yeah, pr- continued on as, as master swimmers and done well at master's comps. But then obviously also those that have learned to swim as an adult. And so um, I think for your approach with someone who didn't learn to swim as a kid, they might have had a couple of lessons here and there, but primarily coming to it after 30, maybe after 40, um, what uh, what's your your approach there in um, giving them the skills that they need to be able to to learn something? And and what do you what do you sort of uh, preface it with? Like, how do you uh, let them know how long it's going to be until they start to see results and all those sorts of things? Because it's quite different, isn't it? Uh, working with someone who didn't learn to swim as a kid. Yeah, yeah. There, there's virtually. Uh, it, it's like night and day. And I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I will normally do is I'll get an athlete in the water and, um, I will ask him just meet me for 15, 20 minutes. Now I know that's taking time, but I do that for a reason to see what their commitment to level is to, to, to the process. I get them in the water. I watch them swim and, you know, w- within a few strokes, you can tell what's going on. I always try to point out something positive immediately. You know, uh, I'm an ex teacher. So we try to sandwich that kind of bad news in between something positive and, you know, finishing it up with something positive. But the reality is I make it very, very clear that they come from, if they come from a non-swimming background, they're going to have virtually no kinesthetic feel for the water. Their, their breathing is going to be horrible. Um, They're going to want to muscle themselves through the water. And I take this approach to tell athletes going, listen, I realize you may have a triathlon to do in three to four months, but to get really good at this, you're going to, you're going to need to be at this for a couple of years. And you got to be, I tell them to embrace the three P's, be patient, be persistent and practice perfectly. What I mean by that, Brenton is practice it as perfectly as you can on that given day. If I can get that commitment from an athlete, um, this almost sounds arrogant and bold, but I can assure you we're going to get that athlete to be a good swimmer. We're, we're, not, we're not qualifying for, for Kona World Championships or getting out of the water in their age group in fifth place. But the fact of the matter is they will start to become a swimmer. And I tell athletes, you got to think like a swimmer, act like a swimmer, project yourself as a swimmer, because there's this, this mind-body. I get very deep into the mind-body relationship. Because you, as you know, working with non-swimming adults – um, they get it in the water and it, it can get frustrated very easy, very, very easy. So I ask them to be patient with it, embrace the process, live through the process, take the time that the, it deserves to develop, and, and you're going to start to see the results. So um, I start to work immediately, uh, as you, you made reference to my book, on their breathing. I find that there was, let me back up, just this weekend, there was a, uh, a major triathlon here in the Flagstaff area, Mount Man, which they, it's claimed the hardest triathlon this part of the, of the United States. And it is. It's at elevation, seven plus thousand feet. So guess what? Your breathing is going to be off. So I work with a lot of athletes on breath work. I also have a certification um, in, as a breath coach. So it's absolutely critical that they work their breath just as well as they do their swimming and create a feel and a breathing rhythm to the stroke. When you can do that, 
I think we're on our road to having a successful swim. Yeah, and I think um, <clears throat> when uh, when people turn up to the pool, you can, for me, like I used to as a coach on deck, I'd sort of watch people arrive at the pool and you can tell those swimmers that are, have been doing it for a long time and they're confident and they're comfortable, even just the way they walk into the pool, it's, it's very different. And then those swimmers that are perhaps learning, they're a bit newer, um, they walk in differently. So I think it all starts with that, that mindset and that approach as, as you go into it. And look, you're not going to walk in there with the confidence of Michael Phelps when you're, you're new to it. But uh, just uh, I think that mindset's really important and uh, that mindset can then help you you're relaxed because if you're not relaxed, you, you're not going to move well. And so it's, um, it's such a critical thing. And I think that being that ability to relax starts with, with how you're breathing, doesn't it? Because when people are a little bit afraid of the water, they start to breathe, um, breathe shallow and, and breathe a bit faster. And so if you can just start with the... Uh, the, the more relaxed, the longer breaths, using your diaphragm a bit more, it, um, everything can follow on from, from there. So what, what sort of um, breathing uh, exercises or what sort of stuff you have them do to help with that breathing to, to kick them off? And a great, great question. And, and I'll follow up with a, the point that you made about being relaxed. Uh, in my book, and there's a, I forget the author's name who said this, but I say this to athletes all the time. Each and everything we do in life is done better from a state of relaxation. So there's a, a, a certain amount of relaxation and tension that goes on mm. simultaneous, even sitting there watching the Olympics and watching the great swimmers that came out of Australia this year uh, uh, competing uh, at the Olympics, you know, right alongside the United States. The reality is they look like they're, they're just muscling themselves through the water. But you and I know better. There's a state of relaxation engaging the muscles that need to be engaged and oxidizing those muscles accordingly. One of the very first things I do is I'll have an athlete stand there in front of me and I'll have them stand there with their hands at their side. And if they're struggling to breathe and they'll tell me that, hey, listen, after 50 yards, I I can't even breathe. I got to hold on the wall and I'm just struggling. I'll have them and stand there and I ask them to take a nice breath in through their nose, preferably through their nose. And immediately I get to see if they're a, what is referred to as a vertical breather or a horizontal breather. Vertical breathers are breathers who breathe through their mouth or their nose and their, their lungs, their, their chest fills up and their shoulders and neck get all tight versus breathing horizontally. That means breathing out through the lower diaphragm, right? Because we have this two diaphragm pier system, breathing through the lower, uh, through the lower lobes of our lungs and I teach them to put their hands on their lower two ribs and start to exercise those ribs in and out. So we're breathing uh, literally, and if you can see this, it's they're breathing out through the side. Now, I was fortunate enough to have a, 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 a coach years ago. And every Wednesday night, we would go out to the Jersey Shore and swim. And he would have us stand there with our hands on our wetsuit. And he would have us breathe out under our armpits, expanding our side of our bodies, explaining that all this fascia and ribs and everything that protect the lungs, and then we wrap it in wet in a wetsuit in neoprene, mm. becomes very, very challenging to breathe that way. So to be able to teach athletes to expand. So what I will have an athlete do, and this is an answer directly to your question, is breath work outside of the pool. It's a kind of... Um, oxygen advantage, Wim Hof type of exercise where they'll lay down, very rapid breathing, 
only through the nose, in and out through the nose, exhale in, exhale out. And on the 20th exhale, they hold the exhale for as long as they can. So it is what is referred to is as a, a you're, hyper, you're creating a hypercapnic uh, uh, condition where you're elevating carbon dioxide, lowering oxygen, teaching the body how to work in that, in that position and in that condition. And it is the best way to train at elevation without going to elevation. And I've had nothing but tremendous feedback from athletes who will take the time. Now, full disclosure, I'm just being honest with you. I probably show this to 20 athletes. Maybe, maybe one or two will actually follow through and do it. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's mindset too, Brenton, like you went before, is how we think outside of the water and the ancillary things we need to do to get better at swimming. So those are the things that I do. First of all, I see if they're a vertical breather or a horizontal. I want them breathing horizontally, not vertically. Um, and then I give them breathing drills outside of the water. Uh, I have a T-shirt on the back of it. I, I, I coined this years ago. I say this all the time to athletes. It is always about the swim, but not always about the water. Me, and you know what I'm, I hope you know what I mean by that is that it's the things that we do outside of the water that prepare us for a successful swim. Um, I loved your last podcast about the mobility I couldn't agree with uh, – I was with you 100% on that whole discussion about a more mobile body. Breathing helps in that respect, supports the spine, hips, yeah. rotation, all of that. Everything starts with uh, proper breathing. So um, yeah. I hope I answered that question for you. Yeah, that's that's great. I remember going to a – it's like a, a breath control um, course. It was kind of basically like what – myself you, or you would run for swimming but it was for for breathing to do with um surfing bigger waves run by a guy called nan baldwin over here who's he worked with a lot of the australian uh, a couple of the australian olympians uh, this past olympics and he's worked with um surfers like mick fanning and steph gilmore and uh, i remember when he was demonstrating some of these uh, you know ways to, ways to breathe and how we want to breathe he did that it's the same thing to, you know just get trying to get the um, the ribs to expand outwards this way and uh, and come back in that way. So uh, I think yeah, breathing's so important. And then it all it kind of goes hand in hand almost to to posture after that, doesn't it? Where with the right posture, you can breathe so much more more effectively. And again, it's like these two things which you most people and and understandably like they wouldn't give too much thought about when it comes to to swimming. It's like you're getting there, move your arms, move your legs. It's going to move you forwards. But with the right breathing and the right posture, that sets you up. And gives you that foundation to then to then build upon. Because when you see someone who's got poor posture in the water, sometimes their head's really dug down deep and their shoulders are rounded. You are not you are not strong. You are not going to be able to breathe well in that that position. So, are there any cues or um, how do you teach the the right posture for people? It, it, and, and that and, and that's a great thing. That's a great 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 point. We know that the relationship be, between posture and breathing are critical. All the great minds who are coming out with a lot of information now, the, the white papers are out there, that if you are breathing correctly, they'll say to you, before you cre uh, correct your posture, correct your breathing first. So that is something, uh, and I'm going to be honest with you, there was a course that you ran years ago, five, six, seven years ago, in assessing postures. I took that 
And you should be so happy. Your ears should be burning because there isn't a day of the week that I don't <laughs> go by and use some of that posture adjustment and assessment when I'm working with my athletes. Um, I'm a real big fan of Greg Cook, and I, I'm sure you may know him as as one who came up with the functional movement screening. So I'll take them through that, and then I will go through some whatever I need. Hey, listen, if it's outside my realm of specialty, I will send them to a, to a PT, to a physical therapist, as we call them here in the States, um, and, and work with a physical therapist to make the corrections. Because like you said, once I get an athlete in the water and I'm watching them go through their stroke and I'm watching their arms recover out of the water, I could basically, without even doing an assessment on the athlete, you can almost tell that their back, their scapular, the thoracic region, it's locked up like a bank on Sunday. And they're never going to proceed proceed as a better swimmer if they don't get the mobility. So to answer your question directly, I will do an assessment on an individual. If it's out of my range of specialty, I will suggest they go see someone who really is a expert in stretching and mobility, a physical therapist. But I will give them some very, very basic stretches to start to open up through the pec major and pec minor, open up their shoulders a bit, open up through the through the ribs. Um, I'm a big fan. I talk about it in my book. I am one of those coaches who believes that Every swimmer should be doing yoga. That's just me. Whether you actually go to a studio or spend 10 to 15 minutes in your own studio, home, living room, bedroom, going through a range of motions would only serve the swimmer, pure swimmer and or triathlete or an open water endurance swimmer so much better um, in that perspective because the incredible nature of our bodies to work with within sync with the breath, the mind, the body, um, our chemicals that are changed when there's stress and uh, um, uh, inflammation in our bodies will all create problems in that in, in that realm. So that's a great great question. I evaluate that. I will direct the athlete the best way that I know how to uh, to get them to be able to become uh, more functionally mobile in the water. Yeah, I think it's and a little bit goes a long way with mobility and yoga because like there's people that can be so busy with if they're training for triathlon and they're working, they might have family as well. They can be so busy and the last thing they want to do is go, all right, so I'm doing three sports, now I need to add in yoga as well. But, you know, five five to ten minutes a couple times a week I think can can be you know, it's better than nothing. And for me, and I spoke about this on the podcast with Jeff Grace who uh, runs swim-specific yoga, uh, he, I was like before training in the mornings, provided I, I wake up with enough time, I'll just do a couple of yoga moves five minutes before I leave. And those sessions, I'm so much better off for it because it just, it loosens up the hips and your back and your shoulders. And, uh, and I notice a, a big difference there. And um, it's particularly through, well, through the shoulders, obviously, but I think through the, through the hips as well. You know, I've worked with quite a few people recently where when we're looking at their kick, you've got their torso here and their legs, their quads are down there because they just don't have that range through their hip flexors and uh, it creates so much drag. And, and just if they could get that up, it is free speed. It's no extra effort and it's just really going to take the brakes off for you. So there's all these little things like that where we see that you can have better uh, a better position in the water and it's just going to be so much easier. And you think of what it can take to 
say, drop five or 10 seconds per 100 uh, with the amount of extra training it might require. But you've got all these little opportunities like better range of motion to be able to, to do that. And it doesn't take any extra training to be able to do it. So I think with a lot of swimmers, you know, you've got that opportunity to, to find those little things that they may not have even thought about before. And, and, and it goes back to what we were, I was saying before. It's always about the swim, but it's not always about the water. Mm. So, um, again, stealing the, a line from Greg Cook, one time I remember him saying at one of the certifications, I heard him say, um, more isn't better, better is better. So I get it. Coach writes you out a workout. You need, need to bang out 2,500 meters. Um, what if we spent 10 minutes on the deck prior and I give a lot of my athletes this wonderful shoulder mobility routine to do. And I tell them, if it took you five minutes to do before you got in the water, it took you one minute too many. You should be able to get this done in about four minutes. And what it does, it starts to open up the shoulders, open up the wrists and the forearms. And four minutes could make a substantial difference in the way you feel in the water. And going back to feeling the water better awareness, kinesthetically feeling what the body's going through. And you said it, it so appropriately. If I can keep the body, and I'm paraphrasing what you said, if I can keep the body more hydrodynamic and keep the body paying attention to fluid dynamics, free speed, man. And going, Holy crap, the wall just caught up on me. Why? Because you're moving more efficiently through the water. So I ask athletes to become more mindful of that. My first chapter in the book is all about belief, and it's probably the longest chapter because it's about being more mindful. Um, one of the uh, one of the um, I, I have to share this story with you because I think you'd appreciate it. One of your uh, compadres uh, from Australia, um, uh, Mr. Uh, Paul Newcomb, um, I had the privilege of. Um, being uh, coached under him a few years ago here, out here in the States. And we all stood on deck one day. And we, you know, every coach and every uh, triathlete, we had our, you know, our big bulky garments on, you know, and he kind of looked at us and said, uh, so, you know, something like, uh, how many of you blokes have a garment on? And, you know, we're all the pride in the world. We, you know, we got our <laughs> garments on. We're triathletes and we're coaches. He said, take those bloody things off and learn how to f- swim from feel. So I will write specific workouts for my athletes, send them over to the pool, do a warm-up, and then I want you to do 2100s on a 20-second break strictly by feel. Trust your breath. Trust your feel. How does the body move through the water? And then just give me the final time, and then we can make some rough, rough guesstimates. But you know as well as I do, open water swim, unless you're stopping for feet, feeding, Ironman, half iron. You can't look at your watch. Mm. You can't. You have no. You have no clue unless you're trusting how you're feeling in the water, trusting your breath, listening to the rhythm, the, the connection between breath and movement, breath and movement, movement and breath. They all have to work in sync. So I will ask athletes from time to time, take that bloody garment off. I'm not only throwing garment on there. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, Timex or any other brand you swim with, Apple and. And just swim for the sake of swimming. I have a tendency to – I write blogs all the time. I wrote a blog on that. It's probably one of the most comments I got um, positive and questioning like, how am I supposed to know how fast I'm swimming? That's the idea. We don't want you necessarily to see this. We want you to feel this. Mm. 
So I do coach feel a lot. I was told as a young coach one time by a, a rough old coach, he told me, you can't teach feel. Either they're born with it or they're not. And I'm going, based on that, I've made it my life's mission to teach feel in the water. I, I, I just believe that that was erroneous information. And it was just an old guy sharing his thoughts at a big meet, at a, at a, at a summer meet. And I've made it my life to teach people how that feel. Oh, you felt it on your forearms. Great. Mm. Do it again. Have that feel. That didn't feel good. Change it up. What do we need? What didn't feel good? Oh. So I, I try to get them to self-coach themselves and answer their own question before I supply information. And I believe that in my mind, that's that's the sign of a of a coach because that's how I was coached. And I try to bring that along is because on race day, that's all they have is themselves out there, right? And hopefully you're in their ear talking to him going, no, Brenton told me to do this. He told me to do this. So I got to do this. So again, I hope that answered that question directly, but uh, that's, that's, that's how I approach this. I love it. I, I've had a, a similar thing. I can't remember who it was from, but it's basically like, yeah, you, you can't, you can't teach feel and this and that. And I, and I was just thinking like, well, that's, that's kind of the easy way out. It's like, and, and that's kind of the approach that I've, um, of, coaches that I've seen that I want to steer away from you know there's there's lots of great coaches out there that I look up to and I I learn from but there's also some coaches that I've that I've seen where I go I don't I don't want to have that approach because as an athlete if the coach is saying like you're never gonna you're never gonna have feel for water you've either got it or you don't it's like well give up already you know that's that's it so um that and it's like it's it's just simply not not true because when I've, I've run clinics in the past um, often after some of the progressions that we've we've done, people have gone, oh, this is like this is great. I, I can feel what I'm what I'm trying to get in the catch, and I can feel it on my forearms, my hands, and it's like I'm moving through the water better. And it's like it's it's possible. So I just yeah, that that really annoys me that that uh, that whole thing where, where people are saying you've either got it or you you don't. Um, it's yeah, it's it's the easy way out, I think, as a coach. I I, I agree with you and. And I, I've never run from a challenge, and, and I like that about coaching is just taking taking what has been, um, uh, for a better term, gospel over the years, and adjusting and tweaking it. We we're, we're, we we've seen it. We're we're seeing it at this Olympics. We've seen all these little nuances, and uh, you know, uh, Rowdy Gaines was. I, I love the fact that he at one point was. Um, uh, congratulating the amount of club coaches and their input to what we were seeing at the Olympics this year. And I've never heard that before. It's always, you know, uh, coach so-and-so from the Olympics. It's coach so-and-so from the Olympics. But you, you and I both know that all started early, early, early on with some really good fundamentals and tweaking this and tweaking that going, God, how'd that feel, man? Let's, why don't we just, let's, let's point that center finger down a little bit. Just Drive that shoulder up and, and take that hand out a little bit more to the yeah. Let's do that and see how that feels. Works great. Doesn't work. Let's go back to the drawing board. So when you can take that approach, and again, I go back to triathlon, and I get the idea that somebody signed up for an Ironman. I get the idea that they signed up a year ago, and there it's a year out from Ironman Arizona. I'll use for example. And then they come to see a coach like me six months out from Ironman. And then I just have to ask him point blank on, where the heck you been? Where have you been? We missed the most incredibly important months of developing technique 
and feel for the water. We need to start building your endurance. And now I've got to get you technically sound and build endurance at the same time. The ones who see it and the ones who get it, Brenton, it's it's absolutely amazing. I, if you don't mind, I'll just share a quick story with you. I worked with a, a gentleman. Um, his name is Justin. Ironman Arizona two years ago before the uh, virus hit. And um, he got out of the water in a one hour, 18 minutes. Now, you and I both know that, that it's a very respectful time for an Ironman event, one hour and 18. But he came to me, and I wasn't even his coach, but he found me. He came to me and said, I really, I really want to crush this swim. I want to qualify for Kona. This year, he went to Coeur d'Alene, got out of the water in a 105, and guess what? That time difference he sent him to Kona because he had a solid bike and a solid run already. He knew that five, uh, that um, 12, 14, 15 minutes, that gap there was the deciding factor. But here's what happened. I told him what he needed to do. He did it. He did it religiously. He did it fundamentally how I asked. There was great communication between me and the athlete always doing more underwater video. And I know you uh, do the same as I do, giving them feedback, sending them to them going, okay, we're right on target here, but we need to adjust this. Let's try this drill. Let's do this, this, and this. And he got it done. And I truly believe, maybe I'm naive, that if anybody who goes from a 118 to a, a 105 and under, he this Justin did it, anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. I, I just believe that. I'm, Again, there are coaches telling me I'm a little naive in that respect, but I do believe if you're patient enough, persistent enough, and willing to do what's necessary, it, it could be done and done successfully. And uh, that is just me being around the sport for all these years and seeing we get in the water, we get in the water, we get in the water, we swim, we swim, we swim, we swim. And I said to one athlete one time, I said, my friend, you are really getting very, very good at doing it very, very bad. <laughs> Because from a from a habitual standpoint, his neuromuscular uh, uh, memory and his his neurons are just firing in the same way. And when I try to show him something, he just reverts back to the other way because this is just wanting to swim versus taking the time to do it the proper way mm-hmm. and becoming really good at it. So more isn't better. I I just try to tell athletes from time to time. I'd rather see an athlete get in the water and bang out. You give me. 1,600 ideal yards versus 24 so-so yards, I'll take that 1,600 pure yards or, or meters any day of the week, my friend. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's great when you get a result like that and like the, and the belief that someone would get from that result as well to see, you know, 30 minutes is massive. You try and take that off on maybe the run or the bike is like, wow, that's, um, and, and, you know, and comparatively too, as a percentage of the overall, you know, swim time, that's, that is huge. Um, and I, one thing that I believe is really important for people to understand as well, we had some uh, Amy who came to one of our clinics earlier this year and she did, um, did an Ironman, uh, I think it was maybe three, four months after it. And she, she took off, it's escaped me now, but quite a, quite a significant chunk of her, her swim time from her, her previous um, Ironman. And, uh, and she had to persist for, it was a good six weeks or seven weeks where she wasn't getting faster. She wasn't um, feeling like things were like improving, but then all of a sudden it clicked and it came together. But she, she trusted 
our coaching enough. She trusted herself to put up with it and and to persist with these changes in her stroke, even though she wasn't seeing the results yet. And then it it happened. And I think it's it's so easy to just give up after two or three weeks and go, oh, this isn't working and just go back to normal. Um, but if you can just pers- persist, as you're saying, and uh, and be consistent with it, that you can really get it, get a huge amount from it. And that consistency in the water too is is huge. I'm, we were talking earlier about the lockdowns here in Australia and Melbourne. I haven't been able to coach for, I don't know, five weeks now. And so I haven't been able to swim much because our pools were closed. And so all I was doing was just surfing every day. And my, like I'm a, I learned when I was 18 or 19 and the last like month, that I've had surfing every day, sometimes twice a day, my surfing's improved dramatically. And it's just that consistency and coaching as well, like just getting a few you know, tips here and there. And so I took that and, and thought, oh, well, this is like, okay, this is kind of exactly what, what we need to do with the, the swimmers is, is make sure they're in the water enough and they've got just a couple of points to work on and, um, and then they're going to see those results. Critical. I I think you just hit the nail on the head also. When I send an athlete to the pool, I want them focusing on one, potentially two things. Because psychologists will tell you uh, multitasking is something that's been sold to modern society, but we're really not good at it because I don't want them thinking about their kick, thinking about their catch, thinking about hand entry, hip rotation. Pick one thing, two things, and focus on that. Because you know as well as I do, if, 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 if something is a, on a major, let's say hip rotation, if they're swimming flat, you fix that, all these other little details simply fall under this big t- detail. And all of a sudden, like Amy, and you get to know their personality. I don't know who Amy is, but I can probably, if you and I had more time, 
I would tell you some of her personality traits. And Brenton, I think you'd tell me right on, right on, right on. Very patient, buying into the process. Kids can easily get frustrated. I got a gal here back in the States. Her name is Teresa. Crushing it, crushing it, crushing it for about five, six weeks. Frustration, frustration, frustration. Left arm dropping, pressing down, shoulder pains. And I just, you know, in my younger coaching days, I would have said, oh my God, what am I doing wrong? What do I need to do here? And I said, you know, let's step back. Let's take two days off. Give the shoulder some time to heal. I sent her to the pool, swam one day without her watch. Then we started to go through some some um, systematic drills, found what worked. She's right back to where she was and swimming better now uh, than she was prior to what I like, I referred to as her, her meltdown. But like you said, trust the process, trust the coaching, know that these are simple laws of physics. If I abide by these laws of physics, I have to swim well. Being hydrodynamic, adding the right amount of pressure, not trying to beat the water up, not trying to muscle the water, and all of a sudden it starts to come together. The biggest challenge I have sometimes is getting the athlete to buy into that process. Because you and I both, we probably have said this to athletes all the time. Come on, dude, embrace the process, man. Embrace the process. It's going to come together, but you got to be patient with it. So I plead with athletes, and I will say this with, with all the confidence of 23 years of coaching. If you do what we're talking about here, any of athletes who are listening to this, you have to become a better swimmer. Again, like I said, you're not. We're not talking about podium finish, but if you're a a typical two minutes and fifteen second out of the you know per hundred, you have a chance to drop that hundred time under two minutes substantially like that if you abide to these simple laws of physics. And that's what I tell athletes. That's what I write about, and that's how I I, I create my whole philosophy around my coaching. Um, and when I work with athletes, um, some of them, some athletes buy into it. Some are looking for quick fix or, um, one athlete says, well, don't you have a little hack for me? No, no. Yeah. I, oh, I do have a hack for you. It's called freaking hard work. That's the hack for you. Other than that, I don't have a hack for you. So it's something that when you get the right athlete in the agreeing to that particular philosophy, boy, it's, it's magic. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's 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 great to work with those people that that are willing to um to to follow that. It's uh it's a really enjoyable uh, process to go through uh, with them. And I uh, I was going through I was creating this um, last week. So in our membership, we've we've just I've just finished the eight week faster freestyle course. So we've got our our five core principles, which are s- somewhat similar to your you know, five five Bs. Uh, and those those five core principles um, I've put together in an eight-week course just to have some structure around developing those, those things in the stroke. And the last one that I uh, put together last week was the was stroke rate, which was, was week eight. And one of the things that if you're more of the engineering type mindset or mathematical mindset, the, one of the ways that you can figure out what you need to do to swim a certain pace is just look at the, the speed equation. You've got uh, like distance per stroke, like stroke count, and your stroke rate. And by sort of adjusting those couple of things, you can see what the resulting time would be if you increase your rating or increase your distance per stroke, and you can sort of figure it out that way. And so it's, um, and that's what you're saying in terms of it's all just 
it's all physics, you know, it's all just, uh, there, there is the science behind it and you can think about it that way. And I think when we're coaching, you know, most people aren't probably looking at it that way. They're, we need to be a little bit more, um, perhaps they need certain cues or they need analogies to help them with understanding these things and bring taking it on board. But you have got that side of it where you can look at it from the pure speed equation and you can show someone, all right, you're swimming 50 seconds a lap. It's taking you 40 strokes to take this lap and your, your rating's at 65 strokes a minute. So, you, you know, we can show them what they can do there to, to do it because I think um, there's probably a lot of people out there who have never considered that part of it as well. Like, all right, I'm pushing off on the wall. I swim 50 meters, but how does that, that make up? And so the way that you can adjust it is, all right, to increase your distance per stroke or reduce your stroke count, it's, that's the technique. That's reducing drag, increasing propulsion. Then you got your stroke rate and being able to perhaps hold a faster stroke rate without sacrificing too much distance per stroke. And that's really the, the art of it. And that's finding that sweet spot, which certainly can take some time. But uh, for those that do are more inclined to think about it that way, that's a really fun thing to sort of look at and and show the opportunity that's available to you to find some extra speed. Yeah, agreed. And 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 I just explained to athletes the simple equation: SR times SL equals equals velocity, right? Stroke rate times stroke length. Um, the the one thing, a one little thing that I do is when when I'm evaluating a swimmer, whether it be uh, through um, video stroke analysis and or on deck is I'll look at their, um, and I usually use their right arm, their point of entry and point of exit uh, off the lane line, which will tell me in many respects how well they're grabbing and holding water and driving their body through the water. Um, if their point of entry and point of exit is really narrow, that means that their stroke rate is going to be higher. And if they do not have the aerobic engine for that, they're going to get exhausted. But on the other side of that coin, you and I both know there's tons of articles about talking about gliding as this this evil, uh, you know, like a gift from the devil himself and swimming that if you're over gliding, it's horrible. But th- if we noted during the Olympics it was the first time I ever noticed right behind each swimmer when Ledecky was swimming and 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 she's right there with that young lady from uh, Australia. They were stro- they were showing stroke length, right? Per, per stroke, right? 1.46 meters. And so all of those things, like you said, so elegantly really become critical. So when you could take the science and the feel and create that gut intuition in between all this, man, you got yourself one hell of a swimmer because then they could take that science and say, okay, the science can't lie. It, the science won't lie here. Physics won't lie. This is what it feels like. This is what I need to do to improve. So there's all kinds of little tricks, and I agree with you. And I'm I'm a big fan of the uh, tempo trainer. I will use that with some more um, refined athletes. I won't give that to a newer athlete because they they will just take that to the umpteenth degree and try to you know. Well, what do you mean I'm only 48 strokes per minute? I want to be 55 strokes per minute. I'm going oh, easy there, <laughs> cowboy. It ain't happening like that. But my refined swimmers know that if they're at 70 strokes per minute. And I want to bump them up to seventy-one to seventy-two. Just let's let's just be real, real cautious about this and move this along um, very, very smartly, and it will come together. So again, that always goes back to that patience. I always go, whoa, whoa, remember the three Ps. Yeah, I. They'll look at me. Yeah, coach, I, I, I get it. Pace. And we're not a patient society anymore. We want, we want it like we want things like that. You know. 
Uh, I want to get out of the water in an hour flat. Uh, I get it. I get it. Well, not at a 215 pace. It's not going to happen. But trust the process, uh, Brett. And that's what I tell athletes. Be patient. Trust the process. Yeah, it's uh, talk about not being patient. I got in yesterday morning for my first session back after, I don't know if it was two or three weeks, um, because we can swim here in regional Victoria. And I just, I just wanted to get in and get back to my usual paces and times. And uh, that wasn't happening. It was like, oh man, it's frustrating. Um, but I just wanted to get straight back into it, even though I've been out of the water for a, for a while. So I completely understand the want to just have things happen, uh, happen quickly. But I know in the back of my mind, it's going to be another, maybe, I don't know, two or three weeks of consistent swimming to get back to at least where I was. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just being, being able to accept that and then just go about it, your business and, and wait until you've gone through that, that time period. Now, just with your, um, with your five P's. So here really, uh, I'll, I'll read them out for people who are, who are listening. So number one is belief. Number two is breathing. Three is be relaxed. Four is balance, buoyancy, and body position. And then number five is biomechanics. So uh, I, I find it interesting. This is kind of a similar approach to what I would often take is you've kind of got all these things and the very last one's biomechanics. So, yeah, there's, there's so much that, that, that goes into it. Now, um, what uh, I want to go on to number four, which is the, the balance and buoyancy and that kind of thing, because it's something that a lot of people struggle with is good body position, stopping the legs from sinking what are some of those causes those main causes that will have someone sit low in the water or struggle to feel like they can stay afloat yeah and and basically when i when i when i'm with a new swimmer i have no hesitation in getting in the water and demonstrating for them and as i shared with you before we went on i mean i I'm, i still swim I, I i'm five six days a week if i can't get in six if if i get in less than five days i'm i'm, I'm a little jittery so uh, before we got on today, I, I got my swim done and went upstairs, did my, my weights. And, uh, so the reality is that, um, balance is such a critical piece. If you are not staying long and sleek and hydrodynamic in the water, you're going to swim, you know, with your, with your hips down. So what I try to, to establish with an athlete is getting them to swim from their center of balance and their center of balance is right at the sternum, right below the navel is their center of gravity. And I always like to say God and his ultimate wisdom made us that way so we don't keel over every time we take a step or we walk off a curb. Um, think about the fact that our glute muscles, our hamstrings, our quadriceps, our calf muscles, the largest, densest, mu- the dense muscles in our body. And if you're an athlete, that means your bones are stronger. Your, your, your capillaries and your blood vessels are stronger. You have more muscle and you're going to sink. So you've got to be able to create this relationship between your center of balance and your center of gravity. And I'll get into water and then demonstrate that I'm simply, and, and, and full disclosure, I, I, I robbed this from coaches years ago, just kind of leaning into the T of the chest and slight, it brings up the hips. Now we know in the world of Olympic swimming, a lot of uh, triathletes want to get in the water and mimic what they do with their kick. And you're, you know as well as I do, you can't swim 1.2 miles or 2.4 miles like that and still feel like you've got legs for the bike and the run. So what I'm trying to tell athletes is we do not want to necessarily depend on our legs or our kick to help us elevate our hips and elevate our body. But the kick is substantially helps 
in that rotation and helps to keep the body up. But I get them and I'll spend a lot of time in the water with them simply doing what I like to call plank drills. Simply arms out in front, Superman position, leaning into the water, looking straight down like they have a tennis ball under their neck, and just this very, very, very relaxed kick. Then what I'll do is uh, move to like four strokes, no breath, showing them that they can apply strokes and still maintain the integrity of the body. Brenton, I'm sure if, if you would agree with me, I got into water today, rotation, leaning into my armpit, pressing the temple down. I felt my hips come up. I felt like I moved through the water that much quicker. It's something that every swimmer has to constantly make that adjustment on. It's not all of a sudden you just shut the brain down. You've got to have some sort of internal gyroscope going, whoop, drop hips. What am I doing wrong? Make that correction. Open water becomes even more critical. Um, the year before COVID, I think we're all losing track of time. Um, I'm standing on the deck of the ferry boat outside of Alcatraz, um, overlooking the water right before they blow the horn to jump in. The waves and the current that particular day was extraordinary. And all bets are off. You're trying to maintain some segment of balance and buoyancy in, in this in this washing machine, but you've got to be able to be able to do that in those environments if you're going to be successful. And yes, I got out of the water and no, no one had to help me out and pull me out. But the fact of the matter is, in a pool, I like to say we're in a Petri dish. We're in this beautiful, refined 25-meter, 25, 50-meter uh, pool swimming. We have virtually no waves or no disruption to water. So we need to learn those body positions in that environment and take it out into the open water environment. So um, again, I hope that answered the question, but I get into the water, I demonstrate. Um, Years ago, what we would do is I would take a piece of uh, kickboard. If they really were sinkers, I would take a kickboard and I cut it up into segments, quarter, half, three quarters, full kickboard. I'd stick a piece of it right under there under their quadriceps and see if it helped to elevate them. I would take a half a piece, see if that elevated, and then just get them to feel the pressure on their chest, this kind of uh, relationship between the sternum and their head, what, eight, nine pounds uh, for most of, uh, most adults, and use that as ballast to help to get those hips up. But what we don't, people say to me, well, some coach told me to force my hips up. Try swimming like that for, for, for a mile and see see how see what kind of energy you're going to have because of all that oxygen you're dumping down into those hips. Establish balance. You got it made. So, I, again, hope I answered that question the, the best way I could. Yeah, that's great. I um, Yeah, very similar in, 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 I think, how that to approach that. And uh, one of the things that you mentioned there is when people try and force their hips up, the – the initial thought for most people when they're trying to get the hips up is to stick their bum up in the air, but that bends them through their hips and through their, their waist. And then, you know, we talk about yeah, dropping the legs. That's, that's what it causes. So sometimes that it requires that little bit of like core bracing the core, squeezing the butt cheeks a little bit to straighten that out. And then you can press on the T to, to help bring that up. And so that's, it's such a nuanced thing that I don't think is really natural for, 
people who are who are new to swimming that um, when they finally get it, they go, "Hi, oh, okay, yeah, that that makes sense. It's strange, and I and I don't have it all the time. This is the kind of the feedback I get when people started is that they, it's like oh, I'm having to really think about it a lot, and then I notice when I don't don't have it, but with more and more practice, it becomes automatic. And I think of when I'm swimming, like it's I'm I'm not actively thinking about it, but I know that I'm sort of adjusting how how I'm how much engagement, how much tension through the core and through the glutes that I'm applying through different parts of the stroke. Um, and so when I tune into that, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, you've, you've got to constantly be using it. And so I think it's a, it's a really important thing for people to to understand, to be able to help bring those those legs up because I've had so many people who have been sticking their bum up in the air and wondering why they're still like sinking basically. And, and, and you bring up some really good points and I agree with you. In, in regards, we, we don't want to overthink it, but we when when I'm teaching a brand new adult triathlete or swimmer how to do that, I will challenge him. I said, listen, for these next three sessions, I want you to get out of the water more mentally tired than physically tired <laughs> because I need you to think about it, which leads me, um, I'll, I'll, I will never forget this interview. One of uh, Michael Phelps' gold medals he wins the gold medal. He gets out, and I think it was down in Rio. And the interviewer asks Michael, "So when you're swimming the um, the fifty free uh, fifty meter free, what are you thinking about?" And he said this, and this was his answer: "I think about absolutely nothing." Hmm. Why? All of those things were done at those sets. Him and Coach Bowman probably said, "Hey, whoa, whoa, no, stop, stop at the wall. Let's discuss this. Let's talk about this. Feel this. Do this." So when race day comes, whether you're swimming 50 meters or you're swimming, um, you know, a 10K open water swim event or Alcatraz or your local uh, triathlon, it has become more reactionary. And what I like to say is your internal gyroscope just takes over and you start to make these corrections. You just mm-hmm. kind of feel, you, you know what I'm talking about. You kind of feel like, oh, God, I, I just feel off a little bit. Oh, I'm not, let, blah, blah, make this correction, make this correction. And you get good at that, but that comes with experience and time. It just doesn't all of a sudden, one, two, three, it's there. So this is why I love dialogue with coaches like yourself, because you trade uh, ideas and going, I'm going to remember that. I'm going to use that. I'm going to apply that in my coaching philosophy because it works. Mm-hmm. So um, hats off to you for uh, for this opportunity to be able to uh, openly discuss these um, these coaching methods. And, and, yeah. and both of them, I, I know they lead to success because I've seen it. And I, I've seen it with my own swimming. I'm, I'm Full disclosure, I'm 66 years old. I'm swimming better now. I'm, I mean, I, I'm, holding my, I'm holding my hundreds on, on a 140, 140, 141, 142 uh, pace in a yard pool, okay? I'm proud of that. It's, it's, it's good. I feel great. But guess what? I know I still have more work to do. I know I can get under that under that one four zero. I know I can. So that's my goal, uh, and that's what I work for, my friend. Uh, it's, yeah, it's it's so good, <laughs> isn't it? Like a um, that's the that's half the fun is just trying to find improvement and just to continue to to better yourself. And you know, going back to your, your point of like Michael Phelps thinking about nothing when he's racing. Uh, Ariane Titmus, when she was asked, you know, what, what did your coach Dean Boxall say to you um, before the race? And she essentially said like, we, like, we've trained for this for however many years. And like, he didn't, didn't give me any advice, didn't tell me what to think, but just, you know, wish me all the best because she's going in there. She's not, 
she's not going in there and, and coming up with a, a race plan on the spot. She knows what she's got to do. She's trained for it. And then it's just about switching off all the distraction, getting in there and just letting the like letting it become automatic. And it's like when someone is in training and they're working on perhaps some stuff that they've been given by their coach, it's kind of like when you're learning to drive there's so much going on. You've got maybe your mum or your dad sitting next to you. You're thinking, oh my God, how this, this whole thing's moving and, and I'm just moving the steering wheel and you're looking out for all these things. You might cross over the white line and go, oh, hang on, correct it. And you, you're thinking about it so much. But then when you get into a race, you want it to be like you've driven for, for 10 years and it's just, you could do it while on the phone, right? It's just, you want to be able to um, make it automatic. And so I think that's a, a big part of training is yeah, you're certainly thinking about things a lot. And then when it comes race time is we want to have everything just happen. You've trained for it and you can switch off. And all you're really thinking about is perhaps just the, the fine adjustment of your pace and your effort and just correcting for, you know, whatever the, the race strategy that you've you've got or, you know, where where people are or making groups or packs, just all those, those little things. So it's, um, yeah, I think in training, it's very much about feeling like you learn to drive a car sometimes when you are thinking about lots of things. I agree. And, and you know, there's something, Brenton, that I try to convey to athletes. And, and, I, and I remember for myself, we, I, I'm sure if we sat here with any great swimmer, Phelps, Ann Thorpe, uh, any great golfer, any great uh, basketball player, Michael Jordan, and if we asked them a point in question, as successful as they were, were there certain things they could improve at? And undoubtedly, I would think that each and every one of them would say, absolutely. So that is what I love about swimming. Each and every time I get in the water, it's an opportunity for me to improve as an individual. Now, I will tell you, um, there are times I get out of the water and I'm going, have I ever really actually swam before in my life? Because this was horrible. But I have a saying with athletes, there's no such thing as a bad swim. There's no such thing as, did I learn something from it? Did I get in the water? Did I knock out my workout? You did something that most people didn't do today. So in that perspective, when I think about it, there's no such thing as a bad swim. Now, yes, you and I both know there's things as bad swims, right? Somebody has a bad swim in a big meet or triathlon. But the fact of the matter is, what did I learn from that going into it? Um, uh, lack of hydration, um, didn't sleep well the night before, poor nutrition, shoulders all jacked up because I was doing weights an hour before. So generally there's kind of this rhyme and reason that follow a bad swim. And then you go and learn through the process to make the adjustment for the next, for the next time you get in the water. And when an athlete, a triathlete, swimmer, adult swimmer, youth swimmer can take that mentality into their workouts, I think they're, they, they've got a, a major step over everyone else because they're they're looking at this from the perspective as continual, mental, physical, emotional, and I even like to say spiritual growth. Uh, I always kid people, I get in the water, I'm in church, my friend. It is just such a <laughs> spiritual thing for me to go back and forth. And, you know, uh, I uh, this morning it was nothing more. It was a neat, kind of an easy swim. I did a 1,000, 20-second break right into a 500 swim. And, and people will ask me, yes, I had my garment on. And people will ask me, um, do you count laps? Absolutely. Well, how do you do that? Because it was taught to me years ago as a young swimmer, you better, you better know what lap you're on. 
because I know what you're on and you better be in sync with me. And we would be deathly afraid going, I think I'm at 450 coach. Am I right? Yes, you are. But you get my point is that I make that an opportunity to get in the water and just uh, and let it go with the intentions of improvement, just developing as an individual. And that's what I love about swimming. That's what I still love about triathlon. And that's what I love about open water swimming in general, just to be able to get out there and get um, get in the water, which just feels so natural for me. And I'm sure it does for mm-hmm. a lot of uh, a lot of your listeners too. Oh, I think it's a massive draw card for and thing that keeps a lot of the people listening to this podcast that keeps them coming back to to swimming is that that spiritual aspect of it. And I'm for me in my sort of day to day life, I just I'm more like sort of I feel like I'm much more about sort of concrete things and and and, and real things. And so when it comes to airy fairy stuff, it's like no, that's not me. But then when I'm swimming or when I'm surfing or I'm in the water. That's like I'm all about it. So I think uh, I, I sort of compartmentalize it for um for anything to do with the water. I, I'm all airy fairy in that uh, aspect of life because it's uh yeah like after after a good swim, whether it's training session, whether it's a swim in the ocean, or just being yeah being out in the ocean, it's just like you know I I feel like I could be a a, a, a yoga influencer on on YouTube or something like that. It's just uh, I could come up with all the all the lovely quotes. So. It's uh, yeah. There's there's something to something to being in the water that just attracts me, and I, I think a lot of um, a, a huge amount of um, swimmers, and particularly uh, here, we've had so many people start open water swimming from last year when the pools closed, and and it's it's that aspect of it I think that has kept so many of them going even when the pools did reopen. There's been a huge um, huge growth of open water swimmers for that reason, I believe. Beautiful. So. Even even out of chaos comes a blessing, right? I mean, you got all these open water swimmers, and uh, so from that perspective, and I and I agree with you. You you when you when you get in the water and you feel like you've done what you needed to do on that particular day, you get out of yourself. You should be saying to yourself, "Get out of the water," and saying, "Well done, well done today." And 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 I congratulate myself all the time. I mean, on those things. So that's me going back to the mindset, saying, "Hey, I did this." I did something that a lot of people don't do. I'm not the best, but I'm getting better because that's what life is all about. We develop as swimmers, we develop as people, and we develop as athletes. And again, if we go back go to the three Ps, be patient, be persistent, the rest of it should take care of itself very nicely. Some come quicker, others take more time. But like you said somewhere just a little while ago, some will give up and never really um, – get the uh, the feel of success if they just stayed with it a little bit longer. And I believe as coaches, you and I as coaches, and it's, it's, it's our job to instill that faith in the athlete going, stay with this. It's in there. I always tell athletes, it's in there. It's my job to bring it out, but your job to recognize it. Once you recognize it, I bring it out, you recognize it. We got our something, something, something very, very powerful here. So, um, so from that perspective, I agree with your, what you're saying. And it was just fun to be able to share little thoughts like that with you, uh, from, uh, from my own personal philosophy, because I believe as a, as a good coach, I want to, I want to, I want to, if I'm going to tell an athlete, you, you got to get in the water in those days, you don't feel like it. There, there, there was a one day last week I stood on the side of the deck. I had, uh, uh, uh I think it was 21, 2200 uh, meters to swim. I'm going, I would rather be anywhere else but here right now. Wasn't feeling it. I had things on my mind. Got in, and I'm saying, 
why wouldn't I have done this? Why would I have not got in the water today and get this done? So from that perspective, that's my advice for athletes. Just get in, do what your coach tells them, buy into the process. One other bit of advice I always tell athletes, and you know you've heard this before and you've said this to athletes all the time going, whoa, 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 focus on your lane. Don't worry about what she's doing to the left. Don't worry about he's doing her right. She swims better. He swims better. You focus on what you need to do to get better. Yeah, you can learn from those athletes, but we can get overwhelmed by what other athletes are doing, and it takes the focus on what we need to do as athletes. Like I said, the belief systems, our ability to breathe and breathe well. I tell athletes all the time on deck, if you cannot demonstrate good breathing for me on deck, there's a strong probability you will not be able to do it in the water. So the breath work outside of the water becomes critical. Buoyancy, balance, and body position being relaxed, or those, if you notice, there's rhyme and reason. Then, then at the tail end, I'll show you how to do bio, the bio, necessary biomechanics. But we get those first four under under check, the rest becomes somewhat easier. So, mm. yeah, abs- absolutely. And Frank, the the only downside to getting you and I on a call is that we could go on forever. Yes, sir. Uh, because we uh, <laughs> just love this stuff. So I appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing. Uh, been a pleasure so your your experience in in coaching and swimming and um, for anyone who's listening to this maybe they're in Arizona or nearby how can they get in touch with you and what are you what's the website social media that kind of thing yeah I'm uh, I'm on uh, my website is uh, Soul Swim Solutions S O L E Swim Solutions dot com and I'm on Instagram the same uh, same tag Soul Swim Solutions and uh, I get people to reach out to me and ask questions. I'm sure as you do, or send a video and ask for input. I'm more than happy. I, I'm all about building success in other people's lives. Uh, that's what I, I am as a coach. It's, it's all about what I can do to see others succeed, meet, and not only meet, but exceed their expectations. Because if I can get an athlete to do that, and then they can carry it over to someone else, you and I have created a nice, nice wave. You know what I'm saying, my friend? So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, get in touch with uh, with Frank. We'll have those details in the in the show notes. And uh, thanks again, Frank. This has been this has been great, and uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, chatting with you. I think we're uh, probably very similar similar personalities and uh, and types, just on different sides of the world. So uh, I appreciate it. Great, man. I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you very much, and uh, you stay well. And uh, very good talking to you.